everyone I think has their own individual experience with it. And so, you know, I think like with the show, you know, with Good Dyke Art, with, you know, Litter Chest Trophy, the work that I was making in February of this year, the show that I put on, thinking about creating like these moments where I can sort of craft a very like individual specific narrative that isn't treating, you know, communities as like a monolith, but then, you know, is this sort of like opportunity where, you know, hopefully, you know, queer and trans viewers can come to my work and like see little bits or like have an understanding without it being sort of this really overt thing. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 240th episode, I'm excited to be joined by artist Sam Mack, who spoke with me all about their work, which utilizes both traditional ceramic techniques and materials, as well as construction materials like drywall and joint compound, as a means to create these installations that draw attention to the way that they're constructed, the way they're presented, and to make the viewer aware especially. They are works that explore and utilize a lot of trans and queer signaling as a means to create a dialogue and especially an examination of institutions that control and minimize others' voices. And so we talk all about the complexities of that and the nature of that work coming up in the interview. Of course, you'll want to check out Sam's website to see more and read more. That's Sam hyphen mac.com and of course follow sam on instagram at sam underscore 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 mac i'd like to note real quick that sam was selected as one of our mfa competition winners this past spring by our juror tim kowalczyk so we're especially excited to feature sam on this podcast if you're listening to Studio Break for the first time, be sure and check out studiobreak.com. We have a bunch of episodes there that you can peruse. Once again, all of our posts have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and of course you can listen right there in the default player or just click those links and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, so please like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break, and be sure to follow Studio Break on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those brief announcements, let's get into this episode with Sam Mack. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Sam Mack, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? I am excellent. It's sunny and warmer for a couple of days, so everything is wonderful. The outlook is peachy, I guess. And I guess that's, you know, kind of something we were talking about in these times. You kind of have to have a peachy outlook considering just how sad things are and how scary they are. So I think it's important to be optimistic, I guess. I think it's going to be very exciting to talk to you about your work and, and learn more about you. So thanks so much for, for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, yeah. I always love beginning from the beginning, I guess. Well, maybe not the beginning, beginning, but... I'm curious, especially for someone that is exploring so many materials and interested in, you know, the idea of, of how they come together and kind of just deconstructing that, you know, were you someone that was really interested in making things and, and doing things when you're growing up as a kid? You know, not in sort of the typical sense. I think I was drawn more to the 3D and sort of working things out spatially, I guess. And that, you know, was 
either working in mud or clay or, you know, some sort of variation of that material. You know, I would work with like 2D stuff here and there, but I was very frustrated, I think, by sort of like my lack of or what I perceived as my lack of being able to physically execute, you know, the the image I had in my head. And so 3D was the the avenue. I guess I'm especially thinking way back in terms of like Play-Doh times. I mean, are you mm-hmm. someone that's making a mess around the house and <laughs> painting dresser drawers and stuff like that or um, making strange concoctions in the kitchen? Those early instances of, of creativity, I'm always kind of curious if you're building forts or, <laughs> you know, who knows what. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a kid, I think it was really messy. My mom was a single mom and we lived with my grandparents and, you know, I had this like little room where I kind of kept all of my toys and playthings and like art materials and things like that. And, you know, I just remember always sort of being scolded to pick up my things. And, you know, there was this like patch of dried glue on the carpet that I, you know, had just like spilt there and then like, you know, let it very irresponsibly dry there. Um, And I think, you know, I just sort of like, moved something over that spot to sort of conceal it. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, in the kitchen, I was always making some sort of concoction of like, I guess, like the flour dough or the flour sort of base clay that a lot of people are working with now. And then, you know, asking my relatives to to taste it. And they, you know, would very, (laughs) very kindly, politely (laughs) pretend to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and so where did you grow up, you know, specifically? Are you from the New York area then? No, no. I grew up in St. Louis or a suburb right outside of St. Louis. Okay. Okay. So a Midwesterner, if you will, the uh, gateway to the West. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you never went into the arch or maybe you did. I don't know. (laughs) I did one time when I had a relative visiting and and we went up and I'm terrified of heights, so I've never (laughs) been. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's just one of those things where I always kind of, you know, you meet somebody that's, you know, from a place that's known for something and they're like, yeah, I went there once, you know, it's not really right. a big deal. Come on. Right. Well, that's interesting. So again, someone that likes to make things, uh, making a mess, who would have figured? Um, right. Was art kind of like encouraged a lot kind of growing up or that kind of creative side? Did you have a, a feel for this as you're, you know, starting classes and, you know, going going to grade school, high school, that kind of thing? Yeah, you know, my dad is a musician and my mom always, you know, encouraged me sort of like working with art. I remember, you know, her sort of telling me that like grade school teachers would, you know, come to her and just marvel at, I guess, just like how well they perceived me being able to use scissors, um, <laughs> which I don't know why that like, I guess, stands out. So so that was definitely encouraged. I think like my family overall is very like math and science minded. And, you know, a lot of people like in my sort of my extended family, you know, are nurses or, you know, have pursued like engineering careers and, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, outside of my dad, not a whole lot of people pursuing, you know, like art endeavors, I guess. Were you ever interested in science or any any of those other subjects and and backgrounds that your family was? I didn't even consider, you know, being an artist as a possibility, I think, until I was in college. When I was younger, I always wanted to be a veterinarian. And then, you know, as I sort of grew, I wanted to be a doctor. And so, you know, I went into college with intentions to get a degree in biochemistry. And that was 
soon changed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what changed that then? You know, it's actually, I guess, interesting story. If You know, you're coming to my work now. Mm -hmm. I was in a sorority when I was at undergrad and we were like required to make these sort of like flats, I guess. And so they were sort of this like scenery that was in the background of these like little skits, I guess, that people were putting on. And I just found that I was painting these like huge pieces of, you know, foam and cardboard, my priority over everything else. And I, you know, learned, I quickly, I guess, to like to listen to that. And, and I ended up, you know, switching over to a BFA, quitting the sorority and kind of never looking back. Yeah. I mean, talk about interesting right there. Right, right. It's so interesting to think about how, you know, one experience or, you know, working through something can kind of just dramatically shift something like that, you know, and it's exciting too. You know, we were talking earlier about how I think artists are kind of better geared almost for a the situation that we're in with the pandemic in terms of transitioning and, and finding ways to kind of move forward. And it sounds like then this opportunity was something that you, you totally needed to, to do something and pursue something that you really love. Yeah. And, you know, I, I and I joined that organization, I think for a, a lot of different reasons and, you know, thinking about wanting to belong and, you know, having these like underlying feelings of being this like, you know, closeted, like queer trans kid and not really having any sort of language to, discuss Mm -hmm. what that meant or or to even know that that was a possibility you know I I grew up in a very Catholic household as well so you know there was a lot of expectations I think for you know those sort of quote-unquote like right way to exist in the world Mm -hmm. it's tricky because working through all of these things sort of like led me to where I am now and you know I think like so much of this time I've spent, you know, like, yeah, using these like skills of the artist of, of observing and reflecting and, you know, sort of navigating this space between how I am perceived and, and how I perceive myself and how others perceive me. So I was in this, you know, sort of mindset of, of being granted permission to do things, I think. And, you know, that, that I was in this mindset of like, have external sort of reinforcement that, that indicated to me that, you know, something was okay to do. And, you know, I think with, you know, each thing with, with deciding that I didn't want to pursue, you know, medical school or biochem degree with, you know, leaving the sorority with pursuing art, then also, you know, coming out and all of these things, you know, it was these like little moments where I was giving myself permission to do things. And I think that that, you know, idea, I think is so much in the work now that I'm making as this idea of, you know, making room for, you know, the legitimacy of, 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 I guess, like material that is like giving itself permission to exist mm-hmm. imperfectly. And, you know, and thinking about sort of the sort of expectation of how to use like whatever, you know, art material and then how the material can exist on its own. You know, one of the things that strikes me is that that environment, the art environment is such a better place for all of that kind of analysis. You know, um, mm-hmm. I can think of, countless hours and instances of conversations in the studio, talking to other artists that are 
kind of feeling out of place, you know, and kind of trying to figure that out for themselves too. And I think what better place to, to be, to kind of work through that, to kind of make your own definitions, if you will, or explore the, what other people's definitions are to kind of see who you are. And I think that makes total sense. I'm especially kind of interested then when you kind of made that transition to focus on art then, was it something where immediately you were kind of like, oh, this is my jam. This is this is where I need to be. Little by little, you know, I think I felt like an intruder or sort of an imposter for a long time, you know, in a lot of different communities. And that I think is the result of a certain kind of like socialization. And also, you know, just because, yeah, like I was I was entering into, you know, conversations that I was not previously, you know, a part of or, you know, thinking about. And so, you know, it was sort of like a rapid expansion, I think, once I started pursuing this this line of work that was critical, you know, of the world around us and was so much about observing and reflecting and then, you know, being critical of the things that were or were not working. And whether those are, you know, power structures or, you know, something as simple as this pot has a hole in it. And so it's not going to hold liquid in the way that, you know, I am expecting it to. Well, that's interesting. W- were you thinking about that, you know, early on in, in some of those classes or is that something that kind of came, you know, later on? You know, I, I don't think I really started the thought work, you know, being involved in the conversations that, you know, were critical of, you know, power structures and and sort of like deconstructing these expectations of what things should be until like, I was in, I would say like graduate schools when that sort of started. When I was an undergrad, you know, I think I was just so taken with the material and, and getting to use material to communicate then. It wasn't that I was like really looking to like theory or contemporary artists or whatever to sort of locate or contextualize like how I was making material communicate. Well, and to think about that time specifically, what kind of things were you making when you're earning your BFA degree? It was weird once I switched to BFA, even though saying earlier like that I was very um, hesitant to work in 2D materials. I started with drawing and painting as being my emphasis. And it wasn't until I think my junior year, I took my first ceramics course. And then I just sort of pivoted and and never looked back until, you know, then graduate school. I was making, you know, these really delicate, fragile, tiny little cups. And I was focusing on, you know, these really like precious porcelain hand-built, you know, sort of like meticulously pinched and assembled little cups that were fragile. And, you know, they were holding liquid at this point. I wasn't puncturing them with holes quite yet Mm -hmm. you know the rim was so thin that you know it was sort of recording the movement I guess that the cup was doing just by nature of it being so fragile that you know it's sort of like dinged against something that it would sort of break and then the viewer is having to sort of navigate this you know relationship with wanting to consume the liquid or you know whatever was in the cup with then having to sort of decide if that was something they wanted to do if they wanted to like engage with this really sharp material making precarious works out of you know ceramic and clay 
has always been a thread, but I didn't really understand fully, you know, what I was doing, I think, until much later. And and I wasn't able to see the thread, I think, until much later. Well, and something that I feel like we totally glossed over. So so where did you complete your BFA degree from? Oh, the University of Missouri. Okay. So it sounds like this experience was kind of that more kind of real traditional, you know, probably learning a lot about technical kind of things too, Mm -hmm. which I would imagine are, you know, things that (laughs) really offer a solid foundation for the type of things that you can kind of make, you know, maybe more currently. Yeah. What I guess happened after this, but did you kind of have like a plan then, you know, at the time that you were going to go on and, you know, get your MFA or did you you know, <laughs> take a take a, a job where nobody cares that you're an artist for a year <laughs> like I did or two years in my case. <laughs> yeah, I moved back to St. Louis pretty soon after. And I was in St. Louis, you know, living like with probably like five other friends in a tiny little apartment. And it was really cheap and fun. And, you know, I was working in a cafe and it was hellish, but... <laughs> you know, paid the bills. You know, I ended up meeting a lot of great people from that. I was only there, you know, for like nine months. And then I went to the University of Nebraska to complete a postdoc program in ceramic. It's a one to two year program. Um, and I was there for two years where I was just, they gave me a studio space and it was sort of a, a taste of graduate school without a full financial and time commitment of graduate school. And there I really sort of got to sit in on what grad school could look like while also sort of working on my my portfolio and keeping the sort of momentum, I guess, of working in ceramic. That's, I think, been a driving factor for me in a lot of my career, I guess, just being scared of losing momentum, I guess. Probably really difficult, too, when you need facilities. You know, I, I can paint... You know, because I did, you know, at a kitchen table or, you know, in my living room, but having access to things that, you know, get thousands of degrees, you know, hot. Right. <laughs> See, I'm not a ceramicist, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a material, it's a field that is so reliant as it exists now on facilities, you know, and, and I do have some questions about that. Um, and, you know, that is something that I think I'm sort of like poking with or questioning, you know, now in my work is like, you know, what, what is the role of the kiln and in my work? And, you know, is it necessary for things to be fired? Because I was taught that that is how you, you know, quote unquote, complete Mm -hmm. ceramic object or, you know, or what is the potential of this raw material. Well, and so you were kind of just describing this, you know, post-bac degree, you're, you know, probably getting all this freedom because you're not maybe as tethered to like a class structure, maybe the same way that you would like as an undergraduate, you know, I'm assuming that you, you know, kind of wrap this experience Were you kind of like shopping then for graduate schools, like during this time and, and you were kind of building out that portfolio so that you could continue this. Yeah, yeah, I was. And, you know, I was, I had very specific requirements. And, you know, I was looking for fully funded MFA programs that were going to be three years long, because I knew I needed that, you know, third year to really make everything sort of come together. You know, I applied to a few, got waitlisted at a couple and got into the University of Arkansas. And then I went. (laughs) Well, I would imagine then, you know, that is always kind of an interesting experience. You know, you come in with these pre-existing experiences. So you're like, oh, it's going to be kind of like what I experienced before with faculty. I'm sure, you know, there's always like subtle differences. 
but what was that you know experience like were you were you then like able to kind of teach also in in terms of this program so it was really you know wonderful the way that they had had it set up, you got the opportunity in your sort of like first year to be a teaching assistant. And the second semester of my second year, I started as an instructor of record and got to teach, you know, in foundations. And then in my third year, got to teach a wheel throwing course and foundations classes. And it was, you know, great to be able to, you know, engage with the classroom in that way. Because I think I I learned so much about not only, you know, the material and, and sort of like how to, how to engage, you know, with students with the material, but then also, you know, it, it started me really being very critical, I think, of how education is, you know, created. You know, obviously, like having that experience teaching, you know, is definitely going to make you obviously think about your work. And I would imagine then too, you know, like you were describing earlier that in undergrad, you weren't, you know, as concerned about the conceptual side of it and kind of questioning the institutional, you know, aspects of these, you know, art programs and things like that. Is that something that started in like the first semester? When did that kind of like start kicking up into the work? I think that that was something that I was really starting to think about, you know, my last year of my postdoc and then in graduate school. Yeah, that first year was really when, you know, things started to click. And then I was able to sort of put that into my work, I think, by my second year, where I was really able to start what I thought, like, effectively, you know, communicating what I was going to communicate. Because I think part of, you know, having this role as an educator, you know, while being a student, but then also, you know, sort of being able to see things and see, you know, this institution from a different vantage point, you know, I started to see sort of the, the systems that were in play and, and, and how, you know, a lot of, you know, the gaping holes in, you know, the canon or, you know, what artists or, you know, writers, et cetera, have been given institutional success, you know, are the result of, you know, systemic power structures. And, and so, you know, I started to be able to understand that, I think, in a different way, and also to, you know, begin, you know, seeing how that was, affecting me and you know my education and things something as simply as like having to seek out queer and trans artists myself you know rather than it being you know in the curriculum already you know I think that because I had to do that research I think that you know that strengthened my work. I, I wonder, you know, if that was, you know, part of the curriculum or if we had sort of an, a different idea of the education, you know, of art where, you know, we're not prioritizing making a beautifully made object, but rather, you know, we're, we're considering, I wonder, you know, if, if changing sort of the structure of um, education, you know, will also then change who gets to be, you know, a part of these systems and, and things like that. So I think about, you know, like people who are, you know, from communities that have been like historically marginalized being sort of pushed out of academic spaces and 
these also like institutional spaces, you know, and that's for, you know, many different reasons that, you know, are structurally, I think oftentimes, you know, you're seeing like institutions have been structurally racist, institutions have been structurally transphobic, and that has shaped, you know, a lot of who has access to these, you know, spaces of of learning and of making work and, then, you know, that means like who gets to continue this narrative. And, you know, I think we were talking about that a little bit earlier, which is this idea of, you know, the the fictitiousness of the American dream. And yeah, so, you know, I think like I was, you know, sort of becoming, you know, aware of these things. I was I was becoming aware of, you know, whiteness and what it meant to be, you know, a white person, a white educator and a white artist sort of making work. And I then, you know, like started to be able to see, you know, then also like what systems that I was participating in that were, you know, replicating harm. Was there like a a piece that you had made or a work, maybe like one of these installations that kind of started to kind of explore that for you in terms of of your work, kind of, you know, challenging this this traditional system or this, you know, systemic, you know, system of control, essentially, that kind of excludes folks? You know, I mean, I think I was starting to really play with it when I was starting to use ratchet straps with ceramic material in sort of I guess this is like my third year of graduate school. You know, I was taking these materials that I was finding in sort of like hardware stores and and places that were, you know, selling like very functional materials, like, you know, a ratchet strap is meant to function and playing with this idea of like, okay, like, yeah, I'm going to make these objects, but then these objects are going to have to reside in a space or they're going to be, you know, exhibited in these places. And, you know, and then I started thinking about like, okay, well, why are we all, you know, rallying around the idea of like a gallery or a museum if we understand that, you know, the histories of these places have been violent and, you know, problematic in like myriad of ways. I started thinking like, I don't know, you know, if I have the sort of like tools in my toolbox, like, you know, thought-wise, I guess, to to think about, you know, putting my work elsewhere. So I wonder if I can, you know, sort of subvert this space of the gallery, you know, and, and use this space of the gallery to encourage conversation. And, and that's kind of what I was thinking about a lot in my third year is like, what are these situations that I can set up in physical space, then that will encourage people to talk about them, but then also, you know, talk about maybe like larger ideas that the objects, you know, because of their location, because of their installation, like hopefully could, could, you know, sort of like instigate conversation. So, you know, I think with the piece that is like the plinth with the little plexiglass box that I, I have on my website, and I think I sent you an image of that was like a piece where I really started, you know, thinking about like, what, what is a way where I can make the gallery, you know, part of the work and make the undoing of the gallery part of the work. I also recognize that, you know, not all galleries are the same. And it was also really important for me to understand and, you know, locate my thesis exhibition, like in 
you know, the fine arts gallery at a university, right? So it's like this very, you know, institutional space that is very much, I think, in, you know, history with this idea of, you know, galleries as being these institutionally run spaces. I'm curious, relative to your process for your thesis exhibition, were you making one-off pieces that kind of explored these themes and then kind of figuring out how to design the space to kind of organize them? Or how did, how did that process come about? Are you, are you someone that likes to go into a space and then figure out how you're going to kind of interact with it and change it? Yeah, it's really important for me to be able to, yeah, be in this space, I think, before I really have an idea of how, you know, I want the show to be. I think I was thinking of my thesis show, and I thought about, you know, that in exhibitions that I've had since, but just this idea of everything sort of coming together, like as a grammar of material to almost form like an essay in space, Mm -hmm. if that, you know, isn't too out there. So I had like a map for my thesis show and, you know, it had sort of like a sort of expected path that, you know, you were meant sort of to, to take, you know, through the show. And, you know, it was only enforced so much as like, if you would happen to see the map and and picked it up and, you know, saw then it was, you know, the pieces were numbered like one, two, three, four, you know, et cetera, with corresponding titles and things like that. And then you would have, you know, this idea that if you knew to look for this piece of paper, then you would be able to like, go through the show, quote unquote, like successfully. And, you know, if not, you were going through it, you know, and, and understanding it, you know, in the way that you were coming to the work. And, you know, that was a way of working through, you know, these two ideas of people, you know, having sort of an instruction booklet for how to, you know, interact with or be successful with institutions. And then also, you know, people who maybe have not gotten the the sort of instruction booklet who are sort of figuring it out because, you know, they don't have any other option. So, you know, for me, it was sort of like playing with these two things of art and, you know, these places where I think of, of thought where I've been, you know, of really not knowing what to look for in order to, you know, be able to successfully like lead a piece and then, and then also you know, knowing what to look for. And I don't mean to like say that like one is the correct thing to do and one is not, you know, it was important to like, I think, you know, throughout the show set up these situations where, yeah, like people could sort of come to it and maybe they were approaching it in the right way and maybe they weren't. And that sort of place of hesitation or or not really knowing if you're doing the right thing, you know, doing the sort of behavioral expectations of the gallery, that was sort of, you know, part of it too, is, is putting, you know, the viewer in this position of uncertainty without any, you know, like, dire consequences yeah well and i'm curious too like maybe talk a little bit about that idea of you know just the way that that people did interact with with the work putting something out in a public space and then them coming in to experience it i mean i guess what was that that like in terms of their reading and uh, the way that they perceived the show and perceived the work I had a lot of really positive responses, I think, from the show, which I was very appreciative of. I, I went into it absolutely terrified and, you know, just feeling like a very vulnerable, you know, shell of a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, graduate school, it's like three years in the making, two years in the making, et cetera. And, and 
you know, you put it all into the show. And yeah, so, you know, I, I was really, you know, happy that people seemed to get it, you know, and, and by get it, I mean, you know, people were noticing the, the little bits that I included, like I made my title instead of making it out of vinyl lettering, I had um, laser cut some sandpaper and then adhered that to the glass as though, you know, with vinyl lettering. So it wasn't until you got like very close up that you sort of saw, you know, so, so, you know, people were investigating the work in a way that I was very excited by. And in that, I mean, like people were sort of like looking to one another to see if things were sort of okay. And if they saw someone else doing something in the exhibition, they sort of took that as, you know, a permission mm-hmm. to walk over, you know, this line that had been, you know, sort of designated on the floor or, you know, to like look behind, like the gray piece that I have, I think the title is the narcissistic loop between gender dysphoria and wanting to be hot. And, you know, I purposefully installed that like about eight inches or a little more away from the gallery wall. And, you know, the side of the pedestal facing the wall was open. So, you know, you could sort of like look in. And so it was sort of playing with this desire of looking and investigating and sort of like objectifying, I guess, you know, like how far were people willing to look and investigate in order to like see the the fullness or the entirety, I think, of the object. And so, you know, if you had to look behind or look into the pedestal, you had to sort of like graze the side of your face against the gallery wall. And then, you know, if you wanted to climb the stairs that were ratcheted to the pedestal, you know, that would in turn potentially shake the entire piece, which could, you know, make the the ceramic object on top topple right over. So this like act of you wanting to look at the thing, get a closer look, you know, also sort of resulted in the pieces shattering potentially. Well, and obviously the way that it's displayed changes the way that someone's going to interact with it, as you're just saying, but Mm -hmm. also just, you know, the fact that there are these other materials that aren't just on a pedestal, you know, the fact that there are stairs or that it's, you know, ratcheted together, Mm -hmm. make you kind of more aware of it as as a, a construction or something that, you know, is meant to be kind of examined differently than, you know, a traditional face or something like that. Yeah. Were there any other like pieces particularly that you were, you know, really excited about in terms of, especially maybe in hindsight, as you were kind of describing, you know, thesis exhibitions, you know, you've been putting all this pressure on yourself for years and then you kind of, you know, have this, this exhibition of all this work. Was there anything else that, you know, other pieces that really kind of stand out to you that, you know, you think were really successful and, and interesting and engaging? The the larger pieces, I think the gray piece and then the piece where, you know, the work is ratchet strapped to the wall, that was also part of this like sort of days long performance of sort of the gallery in a sense where, you know, I would come in when the gallery closed and I would film myself ratcheting the pot until it broke and then I would leave the shards there, put another pot in and you know, do the same thing. And that happened throughout the duration of the exhibition being open. So, you know, from the first day, it looked very different than the the final day. And I think the piece too with the plexiglass box, the cutout of the of the gallery wall, I think, you know, those three have stood out to me. You know, overall, I, I I do look back on it, you know, in with 
um, fond memories and, and I'm happy to have it behind me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I think the thing that's so exciting too, is to think about, you know, precious cups that you had started making to, you know, something that explores materials so much. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting and joint compound is not necessarily something that people kind of utilize uh, when they're, when they're thinking about ceramic work or installation or drywall or something like that. And so to kind of, you know, put all of these things together, it seems like, again, that would be something that allowed you to really kind of open up and, and kind of keep examining in that way. So what happened What happened after that? Did you, what did you wind up doing? Well, after graduate school, you know, I was still really interested in, you know, these materials that were coming from these places that I was like sort of, you know, thinking about investigating and these places being like the gallery. So like, you know, using drywall, using joint compound gallery paints that are coming into the work, still working with that. I did, you know, a very a brief month-long residency at Oxbow School of Art and Artist Residency in Michigan, which was really, really wonderful. And, you know, that their whole campus is just idyllic and beautiful and, you know, great, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as most artist residencies are. And then, you know, right after that, I, well, sort of in the midst of, of my residency, I was able to have a solo exhibition at Gallery Urbane called pass so my thesis exhibition was in march of 2019 and then pass at gallery urbane was in june of 2019 so it was a quick turnaround and you know sort of a very stressful few months uh, where you know i made entirely new work so i was like working on finalizing all of the pieces for you know the show in june when i was sort of like putting up this show in march and you know it was just it was a lot. Sure. <laughs> I feel like I'm still sort of coming down now, you know, from just the levels of stress. But it was all, you know, very good, wonderful, wonderful things. And you know, I feel silly to even be complaining about the stress of it. So maybe talk to us a little about this this exhibition. Um, how did you kind of differentiate it, you know, from that experience that you just came from in, in terms of your thesis exhibition? I feel like the two shows were very influenced by one another you know and I, and I think I had like more solid plans for the show at Gallery Urbane you know than I did for the thesis show you know I had an idea to sort of saw through one of the one of the walls at Gallery Urbane and you know make an entire you know sort of like void between two different rooms and they very understandably were encouraging me to pursue a different idea. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about, you know, a different way of how to get people, you know, into this, this like little hallway space that was sort of like right off of one of the gallery rooms where I was showing. And, And this was also, you know, the first time too, that I had like had to plan for an exhibition where I was not going to be able to see this space until I was arriving with you know all of my work Mm -hmm. and so you know I had to really think about like okay well what is this room you know going to do and you know how is sound going to travel and how is you know the flow of sort of people you know walking through the the rooms how is that going to you know affect the work and so where you know in in good dyke art in my pieces exhibition I was thinking you know a lot about sort of the gallery and these expectations for how sort of objects exist and then I think as I was you know making the work for pass and and you know 
were, I was finalizing the plans for that, you know, it became sort of a quieter way of exploring these ideas. And, and not so much like quiet in a bad way, but, but quiet in that, like, you know, I was, I was sort of intentionally fragmenting, you know, material or, you know, these sort of ideas or where, where I think I'm like trying now where I'm like encouraging a too close read, I think of the work and, and sort of hiding, you know, fragments, sort of using sort of traditions of like trans and queer signaling, you know, that have happened throughout history and like, you know, these ways of how, you know, people have, I guess, this difference in, you know, like looking to history and not seeing your history represented Mm -hmm. in sort of a, you know, mainstream way, and then figuring out, you know, sort of the tools to like research your history and like what to look for and, you know, know, and figure out, you know, how to sort of excavate or like understand you know the things that are sort of hidden in plain sight so then you know I started really like implementing I think this idea of hiding things in plain sight that I had in past a little bit and you know with the language the title you know of the exhibition past you know it being something that you know exists in traffic and you know in this sort of like hard context I think and then also you know it being a very complicated you know conversation that the time and and now I think is you know talked about with this idea of you know passing and you know how like for trans people specifically and then how you know passing can be both you know, something that is a tool of survival, but then also is everyone I think has their own individual experience with it. And, and so, you know, I think like with the show, you know, with Good Dyke Art, with, you know, Litter Chest, a trophy, the work that I was making in February of this year, the show that I put on thinking about creating like these moments where I can sort of craft a very like individual specific narrative that isn't treating, you know, communities as like a monolith, but then, you know, is this sort of like opportunity where, you know, hopefully, you know, queer and trans viewers can come to my work and like see little bits or like have an understanding without it being sort of this really overt thing, you know? And and I listen mm-hmm. to the work of like Felix Gonzalez Torres a lot. And, you know, there's this interview where he's speaking with Robert Storr and, you know, talks about sort of, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the word, but the politicization (laughs) of aesthetics and how, you know, what is determined, you know, to be political and what is not. And, you know, how, you know, we can talk about things that are very political because everything is political, right? Because we're, you know, like all functioning in this system and you know how then we can like use material you know in a meaningful way that you know it has the power sort of of metaphor to you know be able to be both a very broad experience or you know be something that like a lot of people broadly can um, identify with but then also you know is calling to or you know is about this like very specific experience as well. You know, kind of thinking about that, you've been, you know, you've graduated, you've got another solo exhibition kind of under your belt. And then obviously after you kind of move on from graduation, you lose access to a kiln and, you know, all these tools and shops and stuff like that. You know, you're, are you kind of like more experimental in terms of, you know, thinking about it or planning pieces? What's going on now? Right now, my studio practice is looking, you know, very different from 
how it has looked in the past. And, you know, I'm working out of a home studio now. And, you know, in the past, I've had sort of facilities to, you know, make work with and, you know, alongside of and, and um, I've been very fortunate. And now I'm, you know, having to sort of figure it out and just sort of be scrappy and do what I can from where I am. I don't look at it as, you know, a, a fully negative or positive or, you know, whatever sort of thing. I think it's another opportunity, I think, for me to sort of adapt to the circumstances that I'm in. And, you know, the circumstances are that, you know, it's a pandemic and our government is right now just letting, you know, a lot of people, you know, get sick and, and very unfortunately, you know, pass from it. And, you know, it's unacceptable and it's terrible. And, you know, it's so weird to think about making work right now. The way that I guess I'm sort of like dealing with that is, you know, I'm, I'm coming back to drawing a little bit um, and, and painting a little bit. And I'm also sort of working with clay in a different way. I'm using clay with joint compound and sort of mixing the two and I'm formulating sort of this like air dry material, you know, working in a different way. So I've, I've been in a place of production, I think for the last, you know, gosh, right. <laughs> since I started undergrad feels like, <laughs> and now I think I'm, you know, in a space where I can, you know, reflect on things and I can give, you know, a little bit more thought to things. And, and right now I'm sort of, you know, I think also just by the nature of applying to work in higher education, you know, I'm really thinking about my teaching philosophy and, and thinking about, you know, education sort of as a material in a way and mm -hmm. yeah so you know a lot of work is like in thought and in progress I'm not forcing myself to like complete something and love it I'm in a space now I think where I'm trying to really understand you know what this new studio practice means and and you know what I can do within this space because the only thing that's different is that I don't have a kiln, mm -hmm. but I have everything else. And, you know, and, and like, I think that probably it's a good time for this to happen. I mean, the pandemic, not a good time. I'm right. not meaning that. I'm meaning like it is probably good for my brain to really consider why I'm using fire and ceramics and, you know, what is the importance of that? And is it really important to have this like archival object? that I'm working with and is it so important to, you know, be using X amount of fuel and energy, you know, to like make this mud, you know, <laughs> that I like, you know, pinched and, and handle it like into a permanent object. And, you know, I don't know the answers to that yet. And I'm enjoying, you know, just kind of thinking through it and really, you know, being critical with myself just seeing like what is possible, you know, within these sort of restrictions, I guess. I think it's perfectly natural to kind of be somewhat in that, that role right now. I mean, for myself, my, like I was saying, maybe at some point my studio practice has really kind of taken like a, a way back seat, you know, and it's forced me to kind of reexamine a lot of things. So I think, you know, given the fact that you've, you know, had a thesis exhibition and then a solo exhibition and, you know, pretty, pretty quick turnaround. I think it's only natural to kind of have this, you know, new experience, this new environment kind of reset 
and you know re-strategize or just kind of think about how that can kind of shift and i think given the circumstances that we're in I, you know how do you not think about this and how does it not affect you you know so i think it's it's only fitting for all of that and i think the one thing that i would just think is that you know there's got to be some really exciting stuff that comes out of this you know and inside of this you know experimentation and you know having this reset so you know i, I can only think that that's going to keep furthering that that idea even if it's you know a couple of months from now or, or whenever that you start you know reemerging from it well so do you do you do you have any looming deadlines coming up or is then it just this you know time to kind of reflect and and rebuild i guess if you will so i'm going to have some work in an exhibition being put on by gallery urbane called gift edit and it's going to be at gallery urbane in dallas it's going to be fully accessible on their website through the end of the year. And I'm also going to be showing with Gallery Urbane part of the Untitled Art Fair that's going to be fully online this year with online viewing rooms that are going to be live, I think, through December 2nd through the 6th. So obviously those are places uh, to check out your work. Is is your website the best place uh, in terms of staying up to date? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, my website, I think is the best place. I'm, you know, trying to reestablish a good relationship with Instagram. So, mm-hmm. you know, I will also be posting on Instagram as well. Yeah, my website, I think is the best place. And what's your handle there on Instagram? My handle is at Sam underscore 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 Mac. And so Sam underscore 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 M-A-C-K. And then my website is just Sam hyphen mac.com it's exciting to think about all the work that'll come out of this and i hope that people follow along and and see all of it especially these virtual exhibitions i think it's a great way to kind of have something that's you know a little bit more of what it might be like you know if we were under uh, somewhat normal circumstances right right you know i really appreciate the opportunity to kind of you know learn more about your work obviously you know we were just talking about you know the way that especially now we're seeing a lot of stuff digitally and and virtually but it's so great to talk to you about your work and, and learn more all about you so thanks so much for doing this thank you so much for having me it's been great talking with you and you know i really appreciate you taking the time Thanks once again to Sam for joining me. Please go and check out Sam's work at sam-mac.com. And of course, follow Sam on Instagram at sam underscore 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 Mac. You can also find Sam's work available online at Gallery Urbane. Sam is part of the Untitled Art Fair that runs December 2nd through the 6th. So go check out that virtual exhibition in a couple of weeks. And of course, there will be a link to Gallery Urbane in this post. So check it out all places. And of course, follow Sam once again on Instagram. And you've done it. You've made it through another episode of Studio Break, or maybe this is your first one. I do want to encourage listeners to check out studiobreak.com. We have a bunch of interviews up there. Once again, each of those feature the artist's artwork, links to their website, so you can find out all about them. And, of course, you can listen in the default player, or you can click those links and, of course, subscribe to the podcast, which is a great way of having something to fill your head with during these times in the studio. So once again, go to studiobreak.com and subscribe to the podcast. And of course, if you're looking to earn extra karma points, you can help spread the word about Studio Break by sharing this interview via social media. So make sure that you like our Facebook page. You can find Studio Break on Twitter at Studio Break. And be sure to follow Studio Break on Instagram at studio underscore break. 
And I would note it's always great hearing from listeners, so please feel free to say hello via Instagram or wherever you do your social media. Let me take a second to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. And if you'd like to see some of my work, go to DavidLinaway.com. And be sure to find me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or Instagram at DavidLinaway. And that's our episode. I hope that you enjoyed listening. And once again, it's great making these interviews and conversations for artists to listen to while you're working away in the studio. I know that's important right now, so I hope everyone is making a lot of great work. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and we'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>